Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. everybody to Nightlight. Thank you so much for sharing your evening with us. We really appreciate your spending time with us and listening to the fascinating guests that we do bring to you. I want to thank Ken Quiethawk for the amazing introduction, as usual. Uh, he and his wife have an amazing website called nativestorytellers.com, and I highly recommend that you visit that site later on after the show, of course. Uh, the Native storytellers have a, an amazing way of weaving uh, their history and their, and their cosmology into stories that, that not only instruct, but they heal and they are remembered, and that's how they've passed down history and healing modalities and all sorts of amazing philosophical things that you wouldn't imagine would be in stories are contained within the stories that they tell. So it's a way of learning history that our textbooks have not um, exactly embraced, but it's a way that we should possibly even consider it. Tonight I have back with me again Mary Joyce, and I am so glad that she has decided to share her time with us once a month, um, in addition to editing her website, which is Skyships Over Cashiers. Highly recommend that that's a website that you bookmark and make sure that you check into at least once a month, if not more frequently. The material there is amazing. She has archives that go back to the beginning of time. And uh, her material is well-researched, well-documented, and absolutely fascinating. In addition to that, she's worked for the Orlando Sentinel in Florida as an artist and columnist. <coughs> Excuse me. And the Oakland Press in Michigan as a Sunday magazine editor and then a feature editor. Because of this, her website and the books she has written, she has been a frequent guest on radio and TV shows, including Coast to Coast AM, which has an audience of about 3 million listeners. Not, not too bad. Um, the Travel Channel and the Internet TV shows in Ireland and Australia. In addition to writing, her career includes working for a major metropolitan air pollution control agency, a community college, eight successful political campaigns, the world's largest private printing company, and a Fortune 500 company, where she worked directly with many creative teams, including those at Marvel Comics, Golden Books, Mr. Rogers, Bernstein Bears, and Steven Spielberg's E.T. book staff. Tonight, we're going to be talking about her latest book, um, which is called Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints, and I have to say it's about time. Somebody put the other side of the story of Bigfoot out there because um, there's information in this book that everybody should know, has to know, and it will give you a different way of looking at these amazing creatures and understanding them a little bit better. So before I get into actually reading the book to you, um, welcome to the show, Mary. I'm so glad you're with us again. Thank you, and I appreciate the intro. Well, I, well, 
My heavens, you're responsible for all of it. Um, I was talking to somebody just the other day. It's amazing. As we live our lives, we never think this will look good on the resume. It just sort of happens. Um, I love your book on Bigfoot. Uh, it, it, it opened my eyes to a lot of different um, information about Bigfoot, and it's, it's, you know, it makes them, I don't want to say more human because they are a, a species of their own, but, but they're not animals. So um, I'm so glad you wrote the book. What prompted you to put this material together? Well, so, so many things have grown out of the website, which we started back in 2008. And we started out focusing on UFOs, but, you know, one research thing leads to another. And since 2009, we have posted over 70 Bigfoot articles of some kind or another. And I began to realize that there was so much information, and I began to put it together into a book and the reason I did it was I was actually quite bored uh, with all the books and commentaries on Bigfoot prints. People were making castings of their footprints, and people were talking about them banging on trees with sticks, and they were talking about their hoots and howls. And after a while, how much more can be said about that? And I've been very, very fortunate to connect with people who have interacted with Bigfoot in, in a quite... Um, in quite unique ways, and uh, that's the basis of the book. Um, they ha the Bigfoot, they have families. They have made friends with some humans. They have helped and even rescued people in trouble. They have preferences. They have language. They have unique biology, and they're just a much more interesting um, cousin of humanity um, than, you know, people generally realize. Well, you know, when when um, they discover um, species, I, I don't. Well, maybe species. Is, yeah, well, species is the right word. When they discover tribes and such, um, in in um, in you know jungles that have never had human habitation, um, they restrict people. They hold them back. They don't. They don't interfere with their culture. With their um, cosmology. They they observe them. They they have very little, um, you know, connection with them. And in my mind, Bigfoot should have been the same way. You know, uh, we the American, the Native Americans have really taken that attitude toward uh, the Bigfoot. They have generally regarded them as like a uh, like a clan of people, and they have always mm -hmm. shown them respect and given them uh, their space. Um, I do believe there's probably been more interaction with the Native Americans than there have been, of course, with the rest of the population. Yeah, I mean there have been there have been several you know TV shows that have you know hunting Bigfoot and you know they have their big guns and they're ready to go out and they're ready to shoot them and 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 you know it, it boggles my mind because they they do have families they do have communities they do have you know, uh, they they interact with humans on a human level as best they can, and and to to think that the only way that they can they can you know find out more about them is by killing them and dissecting them really offends me greatly. You know, the people who have had the most interaction besides the Native Americans with the Bigfoot have been people who live close to the earth. Uh, I'm thinking at this very moment about three people that I know, and they've had many interactions with the Bigfoot. They all live close to the earth. You know, one is into um, uh, growing natural herbs in the forest. Another one did organic gor uh, gardening um, on a remote mountainside. Um, they all um, are good, simple people. Now, I don't mean simple like dumb. I just mean mm -hmm. a simple way of life. And the Bigfoot, like all creatures, uh, can tune in to people's vibrations. And, you know, so many of us, even though we might say that we would like to see a Bigfoot, down underneath it there is a fear. Well, the Bigfoot are very um, aware of that. And so they will not open up with people who are 
uh, fearful or people who are out to hunt them down or find them or, uh, you know, examine them or do anything of that nature. Uh, it's the kind-hearted souls that uh, tend to interact with them. Well, and they they have been known, at least with, with with several of the people, that they do communicate telepathically. Right, and in Which, Bigfoot circles they call it mind-speak, but it is telepathy. Uh-huh. And telepathy, I think, is something that um, is innate in human beings, too, but I think that over the years, and perhaps with too much technology, uh, most of us have lost a, all or a great deal of that ability to communicate telepathically. Uh, people who have a closeness to pets or animals or horses or dogs or whatever um, tend to keep that um, telepathy alive, at least to some degree. And um, I think it's a shame that uh, uh, we've killed it in ourselves. Well, I, I agree. I think it is definitely... Um, something that has gone dormant in in all of us, and when you when you think about the stories that you have in this book, for the most part, you know they, I mean they don't they don't choose to turn violent. They throw rocks to kind of scare you away or pound trees. They don't come at you and you know try to try to tear you to pieces. And um, I, I think that the the part that I, I am so impressed with is that. Um, there's a one, there was one story about an Indian woman that that she went out hunting with with there was a group of them and it, it didn't um, I have one them. section at, at the end of the book and it's simply called when Bigfoot turns violent and that's mm-hmm. almost always when uh, there's hunters or people with guns or something like that going after them and when I was right. out in uh, South Dakota just a, almost exactly a year ago. I was on the uh, Lakota uh, Pine Ridge Reservation and met a young woman uh, who at the time was 29 years old, and her grandfather was a medicine man and her older brother was, and she had a lot of natural gifts herself, though she had no, you know, title or anything to go with it. And she and I think, oh, like a sister and brother-in-law went out, uh, hunting in a more remote part of the reservation, and they drove. They had a a brand new truck, and it, they went down into a gully, and they were hunting for a deer, and the the truck went dead on them, even though it was uh, brand new. And they were down in let's say a ravine or a gully, and a bigfoot was up on top with large stones throwing it at them, and basically what was happening was they were interfering with his hunt for this deer, and he was trying to get them out of there. And he did get kind of um, uh, more than rambunctious. He was shaking the truck, and, uh, you know, they, I, he, they, they were very, very frightened by him. Now, that's the most violent um, story that I have heard firsthand from somebody. Um, but um, I assume that's the story you wanted me to tell. Well, yeah, it was. It fascinated me, and you know, those that have made friends with them did so the way you would do with with um, in any approach to someone who was unfamiliar with you. It, it, it you know, whether it's an animal or whether you know whatever. I mean, you you gently do it. You you quietly do it. You do it without a weapon in your hands and it it feels to me as though these um i it, to me there's peop they're people i i understand that they are considered well, an animal but i don't i I, you refer, know. I refer to them as our cousins because um the dna re- research that's been done on them that was started by Dr. Melvin Ketchum and has been uh, validated by other uh, scientists since then, is that the Bigfoot is really half human. The maternal side is human, and the paternal side is some unknown species that they have not been able to, you know, find a record of. And uh-huh. um, uh, so you might say they really are technically human cousins. Okay, the, then that that you know that, then it. it uh... You know, still, <clears throat> it it makes me feel better because 
when when and and Mary has listed many encounters with Bigfoot and um I think oh the one story that is really I felt really cool was about the Civil War soldier who was wounded. Um I stumbled on that believe it or not on YouTube and somebody had taken this old uh letter from a Civil War soldier and had find, found nice uh, scenery video from, like, the old uh, forest of that time, and mm-hmm. there was a nice reading of the letter. Well, uh, the person who had the website or the, uh, the YouTube channel uh, was hard to track down, but I was able to do it and found out the story behind it. And he has, uh, has a friend who worked for a college, and the man was an author and a researcher, and he had gotten this letter from a family uh, who had this old letter that came down through their family line, uh, and it was like uh, an old soldier trying to um, recount as like a family legacy uh, his experience uh, during the Civil War. And he was um, very seriously wounded and uh, would have died except these Bigfoot came along. And at this point, I have to point out that the term Bigfoot and Sasquatch did not exist at that time. Those are more recent terms. And so Mm -hmm. he writes about them um, as the forest people. And they literally uh, dragged him into um, one of their caves and um, Mm -hmm. over, you know, a number of weeks nursed him back to health. And when he finally got to the point where he could get up and try walking again, he would use the roots that were hanging from the top of this cave to, um, you know, uh, make himself steady or to, you know, walk more easily. Um, but mm-hmm. they were, um, you know, very caring of him. Um, and when he did finally, you know, recover, they took him out and uh, showed him where the path was so that he could go back to where his people were. Now, the story just, is yeah. actually quite good. The story is quite good, and so a summary of it doesn't give you the feel of it. And so oh, yeah, I literally, not at all. Uh, no, I know it doesn't. And so I literally went and transcribed the letter word for word, um, so that people could really get the flow of what this old soldier had written. Well, and they had they they literally uh, used herbs or something like that. Help yeah, they talk him. about. I mean, he talked about a, a female um, Bigfoot because it was a clan of Bigfoot that helped him. It wasn't just like one, uh-huh. and she would chew on something which had to be herbs or uh, you know of some kind, and she would pack yeah. his wounds with that. And of course, at first he was kind of repulsed by that, but he, you know, had no energy and he couldn't fight it, and it didn't hurt that bad. So uh, he allowed her, or he didn't resist, and obviously it helped with the healing. Um, so you you got that, and then he was stuck there, and he couldn't move, and so, as he said in more gracious terms, the part of the cave where he was being kept began to smell really bad, and one day uh-huh. um, one of the um, uh, Bigfoot came in there with white powder in her hands and spread it over the area around where he, his bed was, and he said they knew about, I think he said lime, which is used to yeah. get rid of the odors. So there's some knowledge there that um, goes beyond what any of us would have thought of. Well, yeah, and, you know, they have a sense of community. And I think one of the other things that that was so, so interesting um, was that those people who were were making contact with them, that were um, not inviting them in for dinner exactly, but who were who were communicating with them, um, who lived in in you know very very um, how do I say it? They, they they lived in places where there was not a lot of you know uh, community or traffic or anything like you know solitary cabins more, more out of, more out in the country with open land one of the gals that i felt very fortunate to meet and to interview is a gal by the name of robin mccray and she's sort of like uh, the big lovable mother kind of uh, person and uh, she has been in contact with bigfoot since she was a small child and she's quite good at 
telepathically communicating with them. She's so good uh-huh. at it that uh, Dr. Igor um, Bertsev, uh, I think it's B-U-R-T-S-E-B, who is the head of the International Center for um, Homeology uh, in uh, Russia, invited her over there when they were doing um, an investigation of a um, Bigfoot cave that was um, well-trafficked, where there was many Bigfoot that would come in there. And believe it or not, this whole uh, expedition started because of an Irish group, and this Irish group, um, Patty's Power, or some kind of name like that, they made a bet they would pay a hundred pounds for a one against a one pound bet if somebody could find proof of the Bigfoot. And so there were about thirty people that participated in this and Robin was one of those. And when they were in the cave they actually <clears throat> uh saw you know, the footprints and they had um some they discovered something quite unique and it was a um, a Bigfoot birthing nest, and it, wow. it was like a portion of a cave within a cave, and the Bigfoot telepathically showed Robin that that was uh, where the uh, females went to, to give birth to their babies, and uh, I have pictures of that, so I have a picture of the nest, and I have a picture of, yeah. uh, I'll just call him Dr. Igor, in the nest. Now, Robin described the nest as being like six and a half by five and a half feet. But when I see the picture of him in the nest itself, it looks considerably bigger than that. Wow. Well, I I think what fascinates me, too, is that there were there have been often um, stories where they will leave a gift of, of a stone or something like that. And they have a unique way of giving gifts and sharing that is really quite profound, which I think is incredible. Um, yeah, it really, really is. Uh, we had experimented. We did food experiments. Uh, we left different kinds of things, including different kinds of gifts for the Bigfoot. Um, I did some wood-burning things, and I believe the one that uh, they were found the most interesting and took with them, I think, was the butterfly that I did. And yes. it disappeared. Well, this happened like um, somewhere in November, December, and about that time, all of us who were involved with doing this uh, uh, gifting feeding site uh, went on holiday vacation for like 10 days, so none of this was happening. When we got back, that gift was returned, and we kept thinking, well, did they think that because they took that, that that was the reason everything came to a halt? And... Um, then I talked to Joan Ocean, who is the uh, best-known dolphin expert in the world, and she lives in Hawaii, but she's uh, had uh, interactions with Bigfoot, with some really very evolved Bigfoot uh, in here on the mainland. And she said that the Bigfoot are a little bit like the dolphins. The dolphins would bring her like a leaf, and when it, when yeah. this first happened to her, she thought she was getting this really special gift, and she treasured it, and she kept it. Well, that isn't what the dolphin wanted. He, <clears throat> he wanted her to play and, you know, give it back and forth. The Bigfoot do the same thing. And, uh, wow. Uh, it, you know, it, it's just, you know, quite interesting that um, they'll take, let's see, there was one woman who um, made something for the Bigfoot, and they and asked if they would like some more, and like the answer was one was enough. They didn't need more than uh-huh. one. Um, so it's a very, I mean, the mentality is fascinating. It's just you know quite different than the way we we tend to think. We take a gift and either treasure it or pass it on to somebody else, but we usually don't give it back. In fact, it's usually in our culture considered a um, an insult if you give back a gift. Yeah, and but in in the caves and things like that, you know, you, there haven't been found ark, you know, um, any sort of um, possessions or anything like that. So that um, it, it, it's hard to understand what their culture, what their cosmology is, what you know, any of that stuff. Because 
they don't make tools. They um, basically, uh, you know, use whatever is at hand at, at, at the time. They don't wear clothing so that there's no, no ornamental stuff or anything like that. And yet they seem to be so close to nature, it's really amazing. Um, and, and there was one lady who had um, a Bigfoot as a friend, um, and, and this doesn't mean that, you know, you sit on the porch and you, you know, drink beer at night, but, but she, she started to sing to the Bigfoot to calm him down, and Bigfoot tried to learn to sing, which I thought was fascinating. Uh, yeah, there's, um, oh, I'm sorry, I can't remember all the names that go with the stories, but there is uh, somebody who has a lot of contact with the Bigfoot, and out in, I think, British Columbia, and yeah. he would sing He would sing to the, the Bigfoot, and the Bigfoot liked it and would try to emulate it. I, I guess it was quite difficult, but uh, so he would do it like you would teach a small child uh, music by rote, and so we'd do a phrase, and then the Bigfoot would try it. And um, it wasn't easy for the Bigfoot to do it, but he did some version of it. And I'm also well, told I, that that the Bigfoot are attracted to like campsites. You know, we hear stories about campers, um, you know, seeing Bigfoot around the in the distance when when they're around the fire at night. And many times people sing or play guitar or something of something musical, and the Bigfoot seem to like it. Yeah, it just it they they do seem to be attracted to music. Um, not rock, but but it, it sounds like it's lullabies or soft cooing, you know, cooing type of music and stuff like that. But also, you did discover that that it appears there is a language of some sort that they utilize. Uh, yes, there's and and uh, let's see, there was a recording made by Ron uh, Morehouse. He's been investigating UFOs. I mean, uh, Bigfoot forever, and he got a recording, and it was analyzed by a man who was a, a cryptologist, I believe, with the Navy for maybe 30 years, and he listened uh-huh. to the tape, and he found that um, uh, there were, you know, human words sometimes in different languages that could be picked up on this tape. Um, yeah. The Bigfoot speak real rapidly. I mean, we wouldn't know it just to hear it, and they would he would always have to slow the tape down in order to hear it mm-hmm. um, but uh they they um you know i give people the the way they can find that and listen to the tape for themselves yeah it's in your book because um i mean one was was samurai chatter and and then there there was some spanish um there there were several different languages that that um that they were able to pick up words or parts of words, and and there was also some English as well, so that oh yeah, um, there was one, there was two of them that stuck out in my mind. One was uh, one of the Bigfoot uh, said it um, almost like pigeon English or bad English. Me mm-hmm. what, what food plan yeah food. In other words, it sounded yeah. like me want plenty of food really. And uh, play, another time there was a mm, oh, me want I don't know I thought plenty of food I thought since he said food twice well, I it, think he wanted a lot of it that's the way I interpreted oh, it but you could do it either oh, way yeah it could be either way you're absolutely right yeah absolutely could be but, but and there was there, another part that was recorded where it was a female uh, talking to the male. And it was slow mm-hmm. enough that they could almost hear it in real time. And the female uh, said, are you talking to them? And the male responded rather slowly, no, I won't. <laughs> and that just yeah, sounded was... like a, a human couple, didn't, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, kind of like, are you talking to them? Are you crazy? <laughs> no. Yeah, leave it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even they get henpecked, apparently. <laughs> But no, it was. Uh, but anyhow, that, that's a that's an interesting uh, uh, chapter that I have in the book, and uh, uh, you know, it's pretty hard to uh, explain it all just in quick words. But there had been words oh, yeah. like uh, one of them saying uh, "danger" or "be careful," 
And uh, mm-hmm. well, and, and then the, the telepathy as well. I mean, you, you know, they will say, you know, don't follow me or don't go there or don't, you know, danger or things like that. They, they are able to get that across to people as well. So, it, to me, that's a highly cultured grouping. It's it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, they're choosing. They're choosing to live where they live. They've been around for a very long time. If they wanted to integrate into, uh, of course, I think they'd be crazy to integrate into human, you know. Oh, the to, way to we the are right now, I would stay real clear of us. Oh, geez, yeah. Um, the other thing that, that I thought was very interesting, I mean, it's, it, you bring together studies that have been done that nobody hears about, and that's what I love about you and your website, because you really go into areas that, you know, people have kind of um, shoved under the rug, and it's, you know, this is no big deal. Talk about their fingerprints, because they have fingerprints, but they're different from ours. That, that's right, and uh, there's a, a man who was, um, I'll just say a fingerprint expert that lived north of um, uh, Houston, Texas, and uh-huh. he had this theory that maybe he would be able to figure out a way to determine the sex of a, a criminal by the fingerprints. And he thought he would learn uh, a great deal by studying the fingerprints of a whole lot of different kinds of primates and had a very, uh-huh. very big collection. And he, um, I've got pictures of the fingerprints, and the, yeah. the, they're not like any human fingerprint. Um, instead of having swirls or swirls uh, that kind of have yeah. a circular bend to them, the um, lines in their fingerprints are more vertical, uh-huh. and they also have lines that cross them at an angle. And so uh, on one page I have uh, samples of three human, uh, three different human uh, prints and then the Bigfoot print. And uh, this was yeah. all done by uh, a guy named Jimmy uh, Chilcutt, and he, was, he worked for the... Uh, uh, he was really highly regarded by the FBI and DEA agents um, uh, because he was so good at what he did. Well, I think what what really um, bothers me, and I'm so glad that you've done this book. And and this is this is an you know I it it's it's a book that is such a pleasure to read because you don't you don't you know make us feel like we have to sit down and have a science class in order to understand what you've got here. And you've got so many pictures, and they are so great. And um, it's just beautifully, beautifully done. Um, well, wanna, you've wanna heard me talk, talk about, about this before. We live in a very, very visual world. And uh-huh. I, I try to do two things. One is to bring the visuals into the books that I do. And the second is to write in a very concise, easy-to-read fashion so people don't get bogged down. Sometimes people who have such great information get bogged down in so much detail that they lose their yeah. audience. And um, I, I desperately try to avoid that. No, I, I have read some books that went on for a couple hundred pages about a spear point, and, you know, <laughs> you can only take so much on spear point. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Now, you, you, you have bring up another thing that I find fascinating, too, Um I knew that that um, spirit orbs or orbs um, were often around um, places where there were earthquakes or uh, volcanoes about to erupt or you know places where the the the, um, the, the energy was there was going to be a disturbance in the force. But and, and and I do know and have seen the the comparisons of the orbs being around where UFOs are sighted. But I never realized that, that they were around where where Bigfoots are too. That was that was to me very uh surprising. The first the first thing long before I did this book, there was something that I that I, that I saw and posted on the website, um where it showed a, a place it may have been in Bali, it was um in the far east anyhow, and um they were doing a very large mass group meditation and in the book I include four pictures of it you can see the orbs and then you can see them get 
uh, you can see them get uh, thicker and thicker the longer the meditation went on. And by the fourth picture, you can't hardly see the people at all because there's so Uh many orbs. Um, We use the term orb in many ways. Um, One of the ways is that an orb is a spirit uh, that's, that's not in body. And um, those would be the kind of orbs that would be attracted to meditation. And uh, then from there, uh, the same thing has happened um, out, I mean, probably more than one place, but I write about the Psychic Sasquatch uh, Spiritual Retreat out in Washington State and have a picture Uh uh, of the orbs filling the forest where the Bigfoot were. I think it's... To me, that makes perfect sense because um, if someone is that close to nature, that means they're open to the spirit world as well, as as far as I'm concerned. And um, they also communicate it, with um, people in dreams. Uh, there's one gal, and she had never really thought about Bigfoot. And uh-huh. we went to visit her property, which is here in North Carolina in the mountains because she had found these giant spearheads. And when we got there, the land looked like uh, land where we had uh, seen Bigfoot footprints. I mean, it just looked like Bigfoot territory. And so we mentioned it to her, and she kind of looked, oh. And she said, then she told us that she once had a dream about Bigfoot, and the next day she and her husband and two kids went hiking in the Joyce Kilmer Forest, again here in North Carolina, and as they were crossing a creek in the forest, there was a giant footprint there. Another time she had a dream. Now, this is the gal who does uh, grows herbs, and she actually sells them over the Internet, and she grows these things in the forest land on her property. And um, one one day, one day late in the day she was coming out of the forest where all this this um all these herbs are grown and the next morning she awoke and she had a dream but when she went outside there was one of these um tent structures that are made by the bigfoot just by kind of stacking them in a pyramid type shape and then uh-huh. the saplings were bent above that in a big arch, all that had formed overnight, and she had also had the Bigfoot dream that night. It was like the Bigfoot were um, absolutely trying to give her evidence that they had done this because it was done so so rapidly. Well, I, I think that you know some of the experiments you've done have been fascinating. Um, you you did an experiment with with the different foods that Bigfoot would would eat. And now, I'm not going to give the answer on this one because if somebody decides to get the book, they can give themselves the test. But I've okay. got photos okay. of different kinds of foods, and then right. I, I have people guess which one, which three of the I think twelve didn't the Bigfoot like. And uh, and you you, then I you give also the, did a, I give the answer yeah? I give the answer at a, on a different page. And then there are the containers that you put the food out, and then of course the gifts that you gave, and which ones were taken and returned, and and which weren't taken. So that, so that I mean, there have been such sweet, simple experiments that that give you a, a greater idea as to the kind of person that that um, you, you know, the kind of people that they are, the kind of. Uh, uh energy that they have the kind of i mean it's it's just to me it's it's so phenomenal that um that you're able to learn so much about them without sitting down and staring at them or looking them under looking at them under a microscope i think that it well is, it along is with the food experiment we experimented with um uh different containers and mm-hmm. one was a we put the food in like a cooler that you could keep a six pack in and then we had yeah. a basket with a handle, and then we had a basket without a handle. Those were put out there at different times. Anything with a handle, they would not put their hands in, and but they would huh. tip them over and then take the food. The one basket without the handle, they actually they picked it up, and it was found down the trail after they'd eaten the food. 
so they wow. weren't afraid of that one. So they must have some kind of, a, um, I would guess, somebody had a bad experience at some point uh, getting uh, <laughs> trapped in some human piece of equipment, I guess. And well, would, I don't have this. I, I don't have this in the book, but it kind of ties in with this. Uh, somebody who lives in the Bigfoot area had uh, her garbage all tied up on the back porch to take to the dump the next day, which you have to do here in the mountains. They don't come and pick it up. And uh-huh. when she went out there, uh, the, the garbage bag had been carefully untied. Obviously, something must have been taken. Um, but it could not have been a dog or a wild animal because they would have simply torn the bag up. Uh, right. We believe it was the Bigfoot because it was carefully untied. So it's it's just it's it's amazing and and, and there, then there was someone else who had a who had a garden and the Bigfoot watched the garden being planted and tended and and would take you know just enough for for it it it. it didn't steal. It just took a little here and a little there. Oh, there was and, like an uh, understand. There was an understanding between the man and and the Bigfoot, and uh, nobody felt anybody was stealing from anybody. But they they would only take a little bit. And there's another story of a uh, a woman who they had a farm in Arkansas, and mm-hmm. um, they, there's much more to this story. But uh, one day she looked up and she saw mother, father, and two young ones, and they were leaving her property with some of the um, horse feed, I believe, and some of the fruit from the her grain, vegetables yeah. or, you know, from her grove or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And there was also telecommunication between her and the Bigfoot. It was, uh, I don't have the notes in front of me, but it was like, you know, please don't see us or please don't follow us, you know, those kind of um Request, you know, pretend we're not here. That kind of a, a response. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's actually it's quite a fascinating subject. It is, and uh, you know, they're, they're curious. You have stories about how, you know, they will investigate houses and cars and stuff like that. And and uh, the one lady, I I remember this story from quite a while back, where they got into the house and they they. Um, the Bigfoot children discovered crayons and decided to uh, illustrate the walls of the house. I mean, right. they're not—they're not like you know, a bear comes in and and you know, it 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 just breaks everything and destroys everything. It doesn't feel like that 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 was what they were doing. They were curious. Well, that that is, I I label that the most uh, active or unique and involved Bigfoot story that I have in the book, and it's, you know, there's no way I can tell the whole story right now. But in Mm -hmm. essence, uh, this woman uh, and her family lived in a small bowl-shaped valley. Uh, It took about a a mile single road to get down into it, and the road went between, um, you know, two mountain ridges and followed a stream. And one day... um, she had somebody out there repairing the pond. Now, the pond was where they had dammed up the creek to create a pond. And so for yeah. whatever reason, there needed to be repairs. The, uh, the jackhammer went right through, the, I guess, the bedrock, and all of a sudden all the water disappeared. Now, there had been no trouble with the Bigfoot until that time. And in hindsight, she figured out, that they had flooded the cave they were living in because there was a lot of caves in that area. Um, oh, wow. The initial reaction by the Bigfoot was not good. They were pissed off, and they started invading their their vehicles and their houses, and, you know, uh, you know, there was just a whole lot of negative-type things. But the story ends up very nicely because <clears throat> we were sitting out on the porch, and the woman's explaining at a later date that um, – you know, she realized what they did, and it wasn't intended, and she was sorry that all this had happened. And it was like the Bigfoot must have heard, or I don't know, because after that there was like a gift left in front of the front door, and it was a, a piece of burlap. I mean, it looked like burlap, and there were three very old uh, coins and some kind of other kind of a copper color-looking something um, at her front door. And I do have a picture 
of that gift that was left along with the drawings that the kids did on the walls. And we figured it was the young Bigfoot that uh, did it, and there were two reasons for that conclusion. One, there had been different size uh, handprints on the vehicles. There was large, medium, and small, so it indicates Uh there were different size or ages of Bigfoot. And then the drawings were all done below the switch um, light switches on the walls. Ah. And a Bigfoot isn't very likely, a real Bigfoot, to get down and start drawing at that level. Yeah, and I think one of the other things that, that one of the people you interviewed, because a lot of people say, oh, there's a foul odor and stuff like that. And and that uh, one of the ladies that you interviewed Said that they they are very clean, that they they take they no, take. No, one of the no, I, I, a couple of things on that. Uh, one, I I have a story from a man who lives um, uh, near you know wild land out in Texas, and I I go into details about how the Bigfoot um, actually use uh, golden root, which is a antibiotic, uh, to make mm-hmm. a type of soap, and they will actually clean themselves with it. So that would be a surprise to most people, and of course, there's more to the story than what I just rattled off. Oh yeah. Uh, the the woman, uh, uh, Robin McRae, that I mentioned earlier, she said the the variation in in hygiene uh, varies tremendously from one individual to another, and some are quite clean and some aren't. Um, ah. So we have variations just like we do with humans. Um, there is. Um, I, I don't know how, at this point I can't confirm this, but there are those who believe that the odor is given off deliberately to uh, scare uh-huh. people off, um, just like a skunk gives an, off an odor. Um, I can't uh-huh. absolutely confirm that, but I certainly have to consider that as a possibility. Um, the drippings that were left behind when the Bigfoot invaded the house in the valley uh, had an odor to it. So, um, you know, and somebody driving by where uh, the Bigfoot frequently crossed this single-lane road uh, smelled the smell of the Bigfoot one, one day driving by there. So I, haven't, I have not been able to make an absolute conclusion about the reason for the smell. Mm-hmm. And there, there, someone said that there were four different color, colors, that there's red, black, white and brown um yeah there's different colors and the hair can be different colors and the skin color can be different colors and the eye colors can be different so wow um again we can't just lump everything together yeah I, we have so oh much and everybody about. including some of the hunters who have used their scope and were going to kill the bigfoot and with the scope uh-huh. they could uh you know zero in and see the face and more than one hunter has said the eyes look so human they couldn't shoot. Oh, that's so good. Um, I just, uh, you know, I would hate to see us do to them what we did to the the Native Americans and the indigenous peoples here. Clearly they can live amongst us because they certainly have been around all of the germs and diseases that, you know, infect all of us so that, their communities seem to be small, but but I would I would hate to have something happen to them. Um, and and the drawing you have of the Bigfoot on the cover of your book I just love. Um, um, Evelyn Gordon, who was the co-founder of the website with me, she chose this. I was doing scribbles, um, and I was tr- going to try to do a more uh, I don't know more realistic drawing for the cover. But she liked the scribble because it had more energy. So that was a that was the first time I did that, and that we went with it. Well, there's a kindness to it, and and I think there is a kindness to them. They just really, I think, want to be left alone. And you know, oh, absolutely. Course, with with the way where you know society and and humanity has been expanding, um, their habitats are are I think getting smaller and smaller. Oh, with absolute absolutely. And that's why there's more of them out in the west because there's more wild open land. And it's got to be much more difficult to survive in the eastern part of the country. 
just because there's so many more humans. Um, And I also think that I think the ones that are here, and at least like where I live in the in North Carolina, um, Mm -hmm. I think they're uh, they make less noise. You don't hear you don't hear the hooping and hollering as as much as you might hear out west, because I I think they simply realize that they are living too close to humankind, and they don't need to be drawing unnecessary attention to themselves. Now I could be wrong about that, but that's my working theory. See that denotes high intelligence. Mm -hmm. Frankly, you know, I mean, they're not. it feels to me as though they're very aware of how to keep their distance and how to, you know, keep their own space. Um, but but the the groupings that are farther to the west, um, w- would you say that they probably all have the same level of, of intelligence and stuff, or, or do you think that different aspects apply to different groupings? I, I think there's I think there's a lot of variation. Um, when Joan Ocean, the dolphin expert, um, uh, came to the mainland here, uh, she was connected with some very, very um, oh, evolved, let's say educated uh, Bigfoot. It would be almost be like uh, shaman leaders among the uh, Bigfoot. And they mm-hmm. were able to uh, to write notes to her or print notes to her um, they were able to um, wow. give, uh, you know, provide some human history uh, for her. Um, they were able to do a lot of things that I have not seen um, at this point uh, by Bigfoot in this part of the country. So she probably really was connected in a in a very significant way. I think they knew she was coming, and I think they knew that she was. Um, a dolphin whisperer, and uh, <laughs> so I, I think they were looking out for her as much as she was looking for them. Now, a lot of the Native Americans, of course, have stories of them and stuff like that. So, how far back can you trace reports of them? I don't have an answer for that. Oh, okay. I don't know. Um, I hear different things, but you know, sharing what I just hear isn't very helpful to anybody. Um, it seems to me that they could even predate us. Well, I guess they couldn't totally if we're if they're part human, but they go back yeah. a long time. <laughs> and I've gotten I to the point where so. I think that we're all we're all hybrids. Uh, all these DNA tests that have come out, 23andMe and Ancestry, uh, a mm-hmm. lot of people are finding out that they've got Neanderthal in them. So yes, oh, yeah. we are some kind of a hybrid mixture ourselves. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you do 23andMe, you find out that you've got a, probably a lot of Neanderthal in you. And, um, that, well, that even may, if there's that, just that, a drop, even if there's just a drop, yeah. that's significant. Yeah, it is. And and I, I think what what most people don't understand is that, you know, we are a family of man. Um, we, we are all connected, whether, you know, forget color or or species or anything that 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 if you break us all down to dna we're all the same so that so that you know this uh warring or debating or arguing it, it makes no sense because we're all in this together and i think that, yeah. that your book your book does a magnificent job of of putting forth a lot of the and, and I'm not suggesting that everybody go out and try to make you know make friends and contacts with Bigfoot my suspicion is that if you are sensitive enough they will make contact with you if you're in the right area I think but, that's, um, that's true that's true and when I was at the I was at a, at a convention in Gatlinburg this past weekend and it was called Creatures Legends and Lore and I was uh, doing a PowerPoint showing, uh, you know, things about Bigfoot and Cherokee little people. Um, uh-huh. And why am I telling you that? My thought just suddenly disappeared. Now, isn't that terrible? <laughs> there was a there was a reason I was going to tell you that. If it comes to me, I'll let you know. Okay, dokie. Um, but but it just I 
Yeah, that happens to me too. Don't worry about it. It's, I think, a sign of great intelligence because there's so much in your head you can't get through it all at the same time. Um, Multiple thoughts coming in at the same time. That's what happens. Yeah, I, I, it just, I, I, I am so touched by your book, um, and it, it, it was an amazing read, and I, I strongly encourage everybody to go out and get it because it's, it's a book you'll read and you'll, you'll look at Bigfoot's. Um, in a different way, and they're they're all over. They're Arkansas, Florida, Louisiana, North Carolina, Siberia, South Carolina. They're they're almost everywhere that there are mountains that they can actually survive in without having to mix with us. I would think. Um, is there anything that is comparable? Now you know there's there's um, you know we have the Yetis and the Sasquatches and the Bigfoots. Is there anything in, in like, the South America area that that is comparable to what you would call a Bigfoot? Uh, I don't have any knowledge of that, though it's hard to believe they might not have them. Uh, Most of the things that I hear about are in the more more northern latitudes, whether Uh it's Russia or the United States. Um, I I, I just don't hear as much from... Now that you think about it, they're covered with hair, so probably the warmer climates wouldn't be good for them anyhow. <laughs> but it's a good question. I probably should see if I can find out anything about that because uh, I, at this point I actually do not know. I know they well, have if, little if, people down there. Oh, yeah. Um, actually, they found a six-toed one, uh, a footprint anyhow, with six toes at one point, I think, too. So you have a A little footprint or a big one? I think I, I forget. Was it a little one? I don't know. You have. Oh, you mean the, a, from my book? Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, I I do have a little bit about um, castings of footprints, only because um, uh, I was doing stuff with uh, Bigfoot children, and uh, ah. some of them have six toes, and uh, so there's a whole thing on that also. So impressive. You know, we don't need aliens from outer space. We've got enough strangeness here on our own. <laughs> and uh, I should probably throw this out that this is the kind of book that's a great conversation starter, and it's actually an eight and a half by eleven format with a, a glossy cover. So if somebody really wanted to get conversations going with people, it's the kind of thing you really could leave on your coffee table because it's it always good fabulous. to get other people thinking about yeah. stuff. And even if no, somebody this, just this, picks this, it up and flips through it. They're going to have, uh, you know, they're going to think a little differently. Oh, absolutely. No, this is, you know, if I had picked this up at somebody's house, I would have to borrow it to read the whole thing because it's it, it, it's it's an easy read in that you're comfortable reading it and the information is so interesting you want to keep going. It, it's, um, you know, it, it isn't, you know, a primer by any means, but it but it is, and, and I, they have senses of humor. I mean, you know, they've played with people. Um, not, not, you know, they, they played with one lady, you know, untying her horse and tying it in different places in different ways. And, and when they did that, they also dragged the water and the food bowl along so the horse wouldn't, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, I mean yeah. th- that whole story, I'm not going to do the ending because I think the ending of it is really cute. Uh, but that's a, an interesting story about the Bigfoot uh, sort of commandeering the lady's uh, Shetland pony. Yeah, it's 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 a fabulous, fabulous book. Um, we're we're up on our hour, and I want to thank you so very, very much. I so look forward to having these conversations with you about the amazing material you have on your website, and that is skyshipsovercashiers.com. Please, everybody go to the website because you'll be fascinated by it. And this book is great. I'm going to give it for it, and they can And anybody can get it from Amazon. And if people uh, like to support independent bookstores, if you go to Editor's Corner on the website, it'll give you a, uh, an independent uh, book source where you can get it that way too. Wow. So is there anything you want to publicize before we go our separate ways here? Uh, no, the next thing like I'm that? doing is pretty much the local. If people live here in western North Carolina, I'm going to be speaking at the uh, City Lights Bookstore uh, Tuesday at 6.30. Okay. But but do people please check out the website, 
Sky Ships Over Cashiers. Fabulous site. And uh, meticulously done and brilliantly written, I might add. And I'm so grateful that you spent time with us here tonight. So thanks again. And uh, we'll set a date for next month, next next chance I talk to you, and uh, see if we can enlighten some more with your your amazing material. Thank you, and you have a good evening. You too. Thanks for being here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, check out the website, uh, our Mary's as well, and the YouTube channel. This will be up on the YouTube channel, um, hopefully tomorrow. And um, thank you so much for being here, sharing your time. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you if you have any suggestions. And um, have a good evening. Good night now.